So in our first reading from Acts 17 there, we have this uh, kind of an odd scene, which uh, maybe might even scandalize some people if, if you look into the details of it. Uh, but when you see how the whole story plays out, it makes sense. Uh, so Paul is in Athens, so he's in Greece, and he comes, he sees, he says he's walking through the streets, uh, admiring all of their various monuments. Now the various monuments are built to, well, Greek gods. Uh, so, but he's telling the, the, the people here, the council of uh, the Areopagus, uh, he's telling them that, uh, so I'm admiring all of these statues. Now, so, we have to be careful here. We have to be careful of what, what he's doing or what he's saying. And then he says, and I came across a statue to the unknown God. The unknown God, that's the one I'm talking about. Now, strictly speaking, that's not true, right? Because the unknown God, uh, the statue they have built to, to, to this unknown God, this was a way of covering their bases, hedging their bets, making sure that, that, it, that, that everything covered. So we have a God of war, we have a God of peace, we have a God of love, we have a God of, you know, Zeus sent to rule all the gods, and then in case we missed someone, all right, there's the unknown God, just to, in case there's anyone there that don't get offended, that one's yours, all right? So it's like, it, it's not out of, necessarily out of reverence or something, it's more out of, uh, as I say, covering your bets, making sure that you've got all your bases covered just in case. Okay, so strictly speaking, this isn't really, this isn't Jesus, like this isn't the Trinity, this isn't uh, the God of, of, of the Jews. Uh, but what Paul is doing here is he's finding something positive and building on that. Finding something positive and building on that, which is a, a very, very necessary skill for any missionary. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I've told, well, I told the story, it was last year, I'd say, uh, when I was in Naples and this lady came to me with her husband about two steps behind and she was basically dragging him by the forehead, by, by, by the arm, or, uh, and she said, tell him, tell him. Uh, and he said, I said, tell him, tell him. And I'm standing there like, what, what am I, what's, is that, can, I, can I help you, is everything okay? <clears throat> tell him, tell him, tell him, would you just tell him. And uh, then he says, uh, and then she kind of cuts in. And she says, Padre is my husband. He's a pagan. Doesn't pray. Doesn't believe in God or nothing. Uh, and I said, right. Pleased to meet you, pagan. <laughs> like, like, I said, what's your name? All right? Giovanni. Giovanni Rabbeni. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. And then she, she kept poking up. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, then he said, eh. Then she kind of cut in again. And he said, he wants to go to confession. This is like so typically Italian. This makes no sense. A pagan, a pagan who wants to go to confession, like, I mean, for, and they use the word pagan a lot easier, a lot easier than we do. I mean, it's, it's quite offensive to call someone a pagan. Or we, I don't know. I don't, we don't do it. Do we do it? We don't do it. It's, it's, it's not. It's not nice, like you heathen. Like it's just okay. Even if it is true, all right. You just, it's, it's not exactly a nice term. Okay. So I said, um, right. Okay. I said, okay. So I said, um, Signorita, <laughs> Signora. If you could just give us a second there, we'll, we'll work this out. They say in Italian, we'll work this out with four eyes. The two of us will work this out. Mano a mano. Grand. So off she goes. And I said, Giovanni, good to meet you. Um, I said, did, did, you, did you want to go to confession? He said, eh, not really. I said, why? And he said, well... I went to confession, 
to Padre Pio. And I'm waiting for the rest of the story. Yeah, and? And then he says, Padre Pio. I said, no, I, I understood the first time. What, what's your point? He said, eh, hey, on Santo, he's a saint. And I went to, I went to, I went to, I went to confession to El Grande, the great Padre Pio. I said, uh-huh, he died in 1968. All right? That, so this must have been the, the 2015 was it? 2015 or something. I said, he died in 68. So when did you go to confession? Eh, 65. I said, the last time he went to confession was 1965. And you're proud of this. And he said, eh, Padre Pio. I said, I know, I, I understand. Okay, I get it. The point is, though, and now I understand why Padre Pio was so kind of severe with a lot of his penitence. Like, that's absolute Egetry, okay? No matter who you went to confession to, they gave you absolution. If you went to the Pope, if you went to even a priest who's kind of on the rocks as regards his vocation, the absolution is the same. Your soul is in a mess right now. And you're actually putting the blame indirectly on Padre Pio, saying that just because you went to him 40, 50, 50 years ago, that you're okay. If he, was the, if he was here, he'd be the first one to slap you around the place. All right? You need to go to confession, my friend. And he did. <laughs> and he did but the point was just like the the approach of, of, of his wife this is my husband the pagan like there was a kind of, I mean like there was a desire in him there is a, some sort of faith in him but like listening out this is my husband the pagan doesn't go to mass and doesn't believe in nothing right uh, it's just really not a good start it's like it's the same I mean and I know it, this can be very difficult for all, all of us or any of us uh, today in this modern like woke world, and I really don't like that word, but it's, it's just ridiculous, but um, this woke world where, where there are, the ideas are just so off the wall, but yet in people's hearts there is a desire to do good, like, like the people who go like absolutely ballistic for protection of the environment and saving all the, the environment and the furry animals and all that kind of thing. Okay, good. We like the environment, we live here too, no problem. And the Lord has absolutely entrusted uh, the, the, the world to our care and wants us to protect it. Absolutely. Is this our number one priority? Not even close. Sorry. It's not. Eternal salvation of souls, number one priority. All right, putting God in the first place. That's, this is our priority. Okay? Now, if we do that, by the way, if we put God in the first place, then as a natural consequence of all of that, we'll respect, his, we'll respect each other and we'll respect creation in that order. Right? Putting God in the first place and then others and then the world we live in, everything else, the animal kingdom. Okay, but that, that, now that's, again, that's not to say we disregard the environment. No, but there are priorities here. There are priorities. So putting, putting the, the, the environment, the protection of the environment in the number one place is just, that's, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. Putting God in the first place, that's Christian. Putting the environment in the first place is actually idolatry. Hang on. Idolatry. <laughs> idolatry. Right? Put ideology and idolatry got somehow confused there. Okay. Uh, idolatry. Okay. So, Ben, back to Paul. So, Paul finds something good, which isn't exactly, as I say, it's not exactly the full story. So, this unknown God, this is the one I'm talking about. It's like saying, you know, when you see someone who, who loves the environment, that's fantastic, or for whom the environment is the number one priority. It's great, absolutely, we love the environment too. It's fantastic. You know, well done on taking care of the environment. Affirm the good. Affirm the good. Don't say, are you some sort of sun worshipper, pagan, or what? 
that's not a good place to start. Okay? They want to take care of the environment. Great. Uh, they want you know, equal rights for everyone. Again, fundamentally, uh, as a concept at least, that's a good idea. Equal rights for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. We also have to recognize that people are different and have different circumstances. So we won't go into that now. But uh, recognizing the good and affirming the good. Uh, very, very often when you go into schools as well these days, like the kids have some fairly wacky ideas when it comes to God, but generally speaking, most of them do actually believe in him. They may have very fuzzy ideas as to what he actually is or does, or, but generally speaking, most people do not believe that when Granny died, she went into a hole and that was the end of her. They believe there's some sort of an afterlife, uh, you know, some sort of a God, some sort of a something to look forward to. Again, the ideas can be very fuzzy, but there's something there. Build on the good. Build on the good. Build on the good. So what does Paul do? Sees this unknown God, says, that's the one I'm talking about. But is that where he stops? Does he stop the conversation there and say, there we go, that's, uh, that's the God we're talking about. Job done, we can go home. No, very, very quickly, <coughs> after affirming that this God, that this statue that you've built, this is actually the, the, the God that we're talking about, he goes on to say, that said, basically, uh, God doesn't really live, doesn't make his home in any shrines made by human hands. So God doesn't live in any statues or any buildings. You know, if you build a big shrine to some God, it's not like he actually lives there because our God transcends all of these things. Nor is he dependent on anything that human hands can do for him since he cannot be in need of anything. On the contrary, it is he who gives everything, even life and breath. So everything comes from him. So building statues and monuments, don't get me wrong now. Okay, the Lord doesn't live in a tabernacle in a church. That's because that's, that's, he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Therefore, that is, if the Eucharist is truly present, then yes, we can say that God lives in this house. Okay, that's a side point. Back to Paul and the Greeks. They couldn't say that God lives in any house or shrine that they built because there is, that's, not how, that's not how it works. There was no kind of presence of God to live there. Okay, or, or to be confined to a building that's built by human hands. That's, that's not how it works. Uh, but then he goes on. So uh, he affirms the good, but then diverting them away from idolatry, worshipping things that their hands have made, right? And then he goes on to, to start clarifying about being, being children of God and, and Jesus rising from the dead. So what I'm saying is he doesn't stop just affirming the good and finish his job, leave, but he affirms the good and then goes on to guide people to the truth. And this is such a, such a perfect missionary example. He even talks about God has fixed the day when the whole world will be judged and judged in righteousness. And he has appointed a man to be a judge. Who is this man? The man who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. So very quickly after affirming the good, he's actually talking about y'all going to die and y'all going to be judged. You know, very, very quickly. So, but like it's just a masterful, masterful missionary work here, missionary speech, if you're missionary teaching, evangelization. So, this I think is, is just a very necessary lesson for us all today because with such crazy ideas, the, the, the tendency can be in some Catholics is just to, just to affirm the bad of what's going on out there. The bad of Catholic education, the bad of society, the bad of politicians, the bad of, of everything and anything which leads you down a very, very dark hole and can be very depressing and lead us to almost a sense of kind of helplessness and frustration because we can't change all these big systems. So what can we do? In our 
circle of influence. We pray, we lead by example, we affirm the good and affirm the good and stand by the truth, teach the truth, be an example to the truth. But pointing the finger at all these heathens, pagans, that will bring nobody back to Christ. Nobody. Nobody has ever been called a pagan and said, oh, you're right, maybe I should go to Mass. That's not how it works. You know, people are won back by love, they're won back by compassion, and most importantly, they're won back by the grace of God and by our good example. <clears throat> so we ask the Lord today to bless the church throughout the world and bless each one of us as, as its missionaries, as those called to be an example to Christ's saving power. We ask that we may have that, that compassion and understanding to affirm the good and preach the truth always. Amen. The following is a special appeal by Father Patrick Cahill. Dear brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining us uh, for these homilies on YouTube or whatever podcast media you're listening to us on. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to serve you all in this way. Uh, if I could ask you please to pray for us here in Holy Family Mission. We're heading into our eighth year of uh, faith formation for the young people who are attending here. And it's a great gift and privilege to be able to work here. But we would ask if you would pray for us and pray for all of our intentions here as well that we can continue this work. And if you feel the Lord is in any way calling you or asking you to support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that too. So if you go to, onto our website, holyfamilymission.ie, there's a donate button there, and we'd greatly appreciate uh, your donations so that we can keep this work going. Uh, it does, unfortunately, cost uh, a bit to run this place, so uh, our, we greatly rely on our benefactors, and of course we play, pray for all of our benefactors' needs, especially on Wednesday, the day traditionally dedicated to St. Joseph, the Father of all providence so thank you so much uh, in advance for your prayerful support and also for those who are able to uh, uh, assist us financially we are immensely grateful god bless you